Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 593 of The Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we've got music from two sources. We'll be hearing from Reese Mason, who's now part of a band, Myoto, who formed at the start of lockdown. And somebody else who spent the initial part of lockdown pairing new music for the world is Sam Lambeth. He has a new look too, so we'll be hearing from him and having a little listen to music from both of those. Also coming up, you can hear what happened when I caught up with Sylvester McCoy. Of course, famed for being in Doctor Who. He was in The Hobbit. And so, so much more besides over the last several decades a lovely fella to chat with and raising funds for medi cinema we'd love for you to nip along to their website through science of cinema for whom we did the chat so check all that out full details a little bit later on on how you can get involved in that one we'll have a natter with joe watkins Uh, he is behind the film south of the river that has just been released so we'll be hearing from him about how that came together and on top of that we'll be talking about the plight of the world of circuses too Daniel Bean from Circus Petite. That's all coming up on this week's episode of the show. After a little bit of a break, Sam Lambeth is making a triumphant return to the world of music. He joins me now with another new look for a bit of a chat. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's always good to talk to you. And uh, I mean, am I allowed to refer to some of the past to begin with? Because there's been different looks and different sounds throughout the years. Yeah, you should. My wardrobe is a mess, honestly. Um, <laughs> there's well, outfits on there that Pat Butcher would wear. Then there's outfits that I don't know you'd you would have worn out into to snobs in 2005. It's it's a real time capsule. But I mean, it, it is part of the fun and of a, a, a view coming into this performing persona and the different ways you uh, you deal with what's going on when you when you, have, when you go into stage it is a big thing and i think we, we should never underestimate the fact that the clothes that you wear and the look that you have is a big part of it and it has been for every band throughout history hasn't it yeah definitely i think um you can underestimate just how important it is i think um a, a lot of maybe Back in the day, I didn't think about it too much, you know, I'd just kind of wear whatever I had on at the time. But when you've kind of created a certain sound, you want to try and get a look that matches. And um, I think over the years, like when I, back in the day when I was in different bands, one of my problems used to be that I just want to change the look all the time. So we'd have a photo shoot with a certain look, you know. Then a month later, I'll be bored of it and think, oh, let's try a different look. And, you know, it was, it, it, we, I was just constantly thinking about the next thing. But I remember... I don't know if you remember Johnny Burrell from Razorlight. Mm-hmm. Well, um, most people, when they think of him, they'll remember that white outfit he always used to wear, <laughs> that white T-shirt and white jeans. And that's because he wore it all the time. And he even said himself, you know, I think it was before he went on stage at Live Eight, he had that outfit on. And um, his publicist said to him, right, that's from now on, whatever you do, gigs, press shots, you wear that outfit and that's it, and that's your uniform, you know, which is, and, and, and he did, and obviously it stuck, you know, I'm not sure if he wanted it to stick, but, you know, it, it kind of, um, you know, it was, a, it became a memorable look because of how simple it was, and because he didn't change it, so I'm trying to keep this now, just okay. for a little while. That's where we go, right. So it's great for continuity. Uh, it means that you can do photo shoots on different days and still not have any concern. And you end up with a wardrobe full of the same things so you can uh, make sure there's a, an appropriate amount in the laundry at the same time as going out and looking good on stage. Uh, not that we can do that bit just at the moment in particular, but uh, so what is going on musically with you? Because um, it does, does the look and the music tie in together? It started just before lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I was writing some songs casually um, but I didn't have any plans to, you know, do anything with them. I wasn't really thinking, oh, I, I need to write some songs because I'm going to form a band or I'm going to do some gigs. I didn't have any intentions of that, really. I, I was happy not doing it. Um, but then um, I started, I think I started writing them around October, November time last year. And then obviously lockdown happened. 
and uh, I've just kept on revisiting them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it no... gave you the opportunity to be able to spend more time and work on that in some ways as well, didn't it? Because, uh, I mean, you are a bit of a social animal, so you're normally out and about all the time. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Um, I think because I wasn't in the band and because I wasn't gigging, there was no expectations, really. Um, I was um, just kind of playing just for the fun of it. But obviously, because the songs were there, um, you know, it gave me a chance to explore them a little bit more. So, uh, you know, I'd write something on the acoustic guitar. And back in the day, you know, the next week, I'd probably take it to the rehearsal studio and we'd work on it as a band. But because I hadn't, didn't have that option, you know, I'd kind of leave it to one side, listen to it a few times and think, oh, I'll try um, putting a bit of piano on that try putting a bit of mandolin on it, which is stuff I wouldn't do before, because obviously in my previous bands we didn't have those options. Mm. So it, it gave me a lot more freedom, really, just to, just to try different things on it. Um, and, and like I said, because I had all the time in the world, the songs just kind of, um, you know, it gave the songs time to breathe, really, and it gave me time to edit them, work at them. So by the time I went into the studio, which was August, um, the, the six songs, you know, there'd been, the writing process had begun like six or seven months before that, but probably even longer. So over those seven or eight months, you know, I had a lot of time to work on and edit them, which I'd never done before, because I was always kind of, like I said before, I was always kind of rushing, I think, really, looking back, you know, mm-hmm. I'd write a batch of songs, and I just want to get them out there as soon as possible, but this time, I actually gave myself some time to work on them. Yeah, to, to do what you wanted without the input of others. I mean, you've done a few solo bits in the past, but you know, not again with the, the sort of chance to sit back and, uh, and and take time over it the way we've had in 2020. I mean, it's been a strange year, obviously a terribly sad one in so, so many cases, but one where people have found themselves in different ways. And again, this, this, this comes back to, to, the, to the look of the way you behave. And uh, you know, the sound that I've known has, has always been a constant underneath the veneer of the ridiculous jacket or the uh, the stylish looking kegs you know it, it's it, you've always continued to do what you do but uh, it, this time you've sort of had a chance to sit back take a look at it and um when, i mean if we weren't having this chat now would you be dressed like that i mean is that is that something is, is that a look you're feeling comfortable with other than this and you know, is, is this goes to go deeper yeah um I probably wouldn't be dressed like this, to be fair. I don't think many people would choose to dress like this in, in this day and age. Um, it's, no, it's much right. It's a cool look. You see, this is the thing. With, with you, it's, you, you just ha- you're happy being whoever you are at the time. And it's like, I've, I've seen several different versions of you, but still with, this, with the same personality underneath. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> I don't dare. Come on, behave. Uh, but so... Um, with the music, it's expressing where you are. So, uh, and again, this is something that you've always done in your songs, whether it has been you know, with the monobloggers back in the day and all the other incarnations of various songs and performances that you've done. Uh, you, you are always writing from the heart in some way. So th- this is going to be pure, unadulterated Sam rather than uh, a Sam mixed with the feelings of others thrown in. Yeah, I mean, it was always, you know, obviously in the different bands, the lads obviously put loads of effort in and, and a lot of money into rehearsals and gigging and stuff. But I think it's fair to say, for the most part, I was I was always writing the songs. So you know, the kind of creative direction, if you like, came came from me, mm-hmm. which is probably why none of them did very well. Oh come on, behave! But um, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was a bit different this time. It was quite nice just to have that freedom, um, you know, where it was like. It's, it, it stands and falls with me, do you know what I mean? Every decision I make, I have to stand by it, and it's what, I, you know, what I think is right. So it's, it's quite liberating, really, because, you know, in the studio especially, um, again, there was a lot of freedom to try different things, and, you know, back when I was in the band, maybe there'd be, I wouldn't say there'd be disagreements, because, I, I, you know, luckily, I, you know, we always got on really well in the different bands I was in, but, you know, you'd have to take into consideration all... Oh, Oh, the lads might not like this direction, or the lads might not like, not might not like me adding this on, and and also you just have that fear of oh I can't put that on really because how are we going to replicate that live? You know I can't mm-hmm. put a piano on because we ain't got a keyboard player. But this time because I was on my own and again because there was just I wasn't thinking about anything like how am I going to reproduce this on stage? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? I just went in there and thought, you know, if it sounds good, I'll, I'll add it in. So, yeah, it was, it was really nice to go in without, 
without having any like rules or you know set upon on it. So, so you, you've now become an album artist, and uh, that is uh, how things stand at the moment. As I say, knowing you, it will change, evolve, something else different will happen, and you'll take this in, in the direction you feel like going. Then, so we're going to take a listen to some of your music now. So, what have you got for me? Yes, yeah, so this is the first single, and this is called "When Love Ain't Enough." Okay, so give us the background to this one. Yeah, it was the first song that I wrote for the for the record, and I always earmarked it to be the first single, you know, because I thought it was. It's a very kind of. It's probably the um, the rawest and most bare song on the record, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's the most minimal, um, but I like it because that's. I think it's kind. Of, it's a very kind of. Um, you know, it's very stripped back, very hopefully quite an emotive song. Um, you know, simple but effective. I hope. Uh, and I thought, you know, from the moment I wrote it to when I was in the studio to when I had the finished record back, I just thought this is the first taste that I want everyone to hear because I think it's the most honest, uh, the you know, uh, you know, the rawest and, and hopefully the most powerful um, track that I've got. Um, and like I say, I, when I wrote it. You know, it's very simple, kind of two or three chords. Um, and I did want it initially just to be me and the guitar. And I even, you know, I was listening. It was quite a dreary three weeks, really, because I was listening to all these kind of singer-songwriter acoustic singing songs, you know, like uh, Hey There, Delilah, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, that More Than Words song. Because I just wanted to try and, that's what, I wanted to try and get that, that kind of, you know, all it is is a guitar and a voice, and it's enough, you know what I mean? It's not boring, it's not repetitive, it's just, it's powerful enough. We ended up adding a few different instruments onto it, which I'm really glad we did, to be fair, because it's a bit more nuanced now, a bit richer. But I think it's still quite minimal, and I think it's hopefully it's really effective. So, oh yeah, one thing that we, we always know is you are singing and performing about stuff that, that you know, uh, and we'll pick that up when we take a listen to this. And uh, I, I think you know, it's, it's all about, uh, about you in particular this time, so no pressure, but I think you, you, hopefully you'll enjoy that and uh, it'll uh, yeah, allow you to, to explore more through your music, which I think is, is what music's all about, isn't it? It, it is about uh, emotions, feelings, um, and just showing who you are. And uh, I, I, think, I don't think you've got any shame to be had in that. So uh, we look forward to, to, to hearing all that you've done. Give us all the details on where we can find your current work. Yeah, so I'm on all the social medias apart from TikTok because I kind of feel a bit I feel a bit weird going on that. <laughs> You're too old for TikTok, to be fair. To be, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm too old for Instagram, really. But, um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and it's Sam Lambeth Music, all one word, all lowercase. So nice and simple across the board there. Uh, if you go on YouTube or Spotify, just type my name in. I'm sure I'll I'll come up eventually. Um, but yeah, I'm on, I'm on those two, and that's where the songs will be. I mean, the song is out from uh, November 6th. And it, I'm really excited because, again, I feel like, you know, you learn from the less, you know, I hate to call them mistakes because obviously you don't think of them as mistakes at the time, but you look at the things you did in the past, and, you know, I, I think this time I'm, I've, I've got it right, hopefully, in terms of, you know, how I'm spacing it out, you know, in terms of the singles, because this is just the start, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want this just to be the single and that's it. There's going to be more singles coming in and then the album will hopefully be out um, around March time. That's the plan. Uh, so I've got it all figured out in my head, you know, <laughs> um, got it nice and spaced out, taking my time with it. Um, and it, and that goes for the record as well, I think. Yeah. You know, playing for 10 years, you learn so much and you learn what not to do. And I think this time I've, I've applied it in the studio and I think... People, how you know? I think people will be pleasantly surprised because I think in the past my stuff's been a bit more rockier, a bit faster, a bit more urgent. Whereas this time it's a lot more considerate and measured and um, a bit more acoustic driven. So I think it's a, a big, a big sea change really. But um, it's a record I always wanted to make, and I didn't really think I would. So I'm, I'm really chuffed that I've had the opportunity to do it. We're looking forward to it. We shall enjoy and share it. And as I say, they're not mistakes or experiences which help you develop and evolve. And uh, I'm sure that will uh, long be the case for, for all of us in our species as we learn from uh, you know, past and, and present. Well, Sam Lambeth, always good to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we're looking forward to the track. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.
one too strong again From a lover back to a friend I just want this pain to end It's getting harder to pretend that I'm hurting Yeah, guess what, baby, I'm hurting And all this pain, well, I've earned it Yet I don't think I deserve it When love ain't enough Feel it coursing through my veins When love ain't enough No, I'll never, never be the same Things didn't quite go as planned Started life as the other man Competing just to hold your hand Ended up in no man's land And I'm hurting Yeah, guess what, baby, I'm hurting And all this pain, well, I've earned it Yet I don't think I deserve it Deserve it When love ain't enough Feel it coursing through my veins When love ain't enough No, I'll never, never be the same When love It's time for another of the conversations that I've been having on behalf of Science of Cinema. They are raising funds for Medi Cinema. If you go along to the Science of Cinema Facebook page, you can get all the links there to make a donation on behalf of the organisation, which normally has an event bringing people together to meet some of the stars behind the scenes and in front of the cameras. Sylvester McCoy, as I say, is our chat this time round, and we got to have a bit of a natter all about the world of Doctor Who, the Hobbit and so much more besides in several decades of work on the big and small screen. It's a lovely fellow to have a chat with. We did have a few technological problems due to the link between here and France being a little bit glitchy at times, but certainly that doesn't take away from the words of this absolute fine man and it's great to catch up with him. Welcome to the latest in the Science of Cinema series, supporting Medi Cinema, looking after people through the power of the big screen. To tell us more about his world, I'm joined now by Sylvester McCoy. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, and an absolute honour to speak to you. And uh, I've had a career that has spanned several decades now, but you don't seem to get any older, which is the important thing. <laughs> no, it's your eyesight's getting worse. It could be that. But, I mean, I remember watching you on the likes of Jigsaw when I was a kid. There was Tiz was as well. And you've had some fantastic fun on screen over the years. Yeah, no, I have had, I've, I've had great fun. I mean, from the very beginning when I started with the Ken Campbell Roadshow, uh, you know, trying to break the world record for having ferrets down my trousers, <laughs> setting light to my head and exploding a bomb in my chest, to um, playing in uh, opera with Sir Garant Evans, great Welsh bass singer, and all things in between. Yes, um, the producer of... The producer of um, uh, of Doctor Who once looked at my CV and he said, I've done everything, everything in show business, except one thing, 
And that was Bally. I haven't done Bally. <laughs> yeah, but there's still time. I mean, I, I assume you get the call from Strictly every year. It would be great to see you on there. But, um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, some of the, the fantastic roles, but and, and still some brilliant films coming. I mean, is it there's two which we're uh, we've got coming out this year, aren't there? Yes, yes. I think there's owners, a thing called owners with uh, Maisie Williams and Rita, the wonderful, amazing Rita Tushingham. Uh, that's out, I think, mm. uh, somewhere up there on the internet. Um, <laughs> and then um, Christmas, fingers crossed. There's a Scottish rom-com called Perfect Strangers. It's a Christmas film. It's been made for Christmas, the first Scottish Christmas film, I believe. That's a, that's a thing now, and who else could be part of it than somebody who needs to expand their CV just that little bit more? And with the the, the likes of the roles that you're getting now, uh, I mean, I, what what is it that uh, that works well for you at the moment? What are you enjoying doing? Because I should think you get more scripts than you could possibly do, even during a pandemic. Well, I, I enjoy doing things I haven't really done before, but then I've done nearly everything. So it's a bit, it's getting complicated, really. <laughs> um, you know, because the, the owner, owners is a horror. Well, it's kind of a psychological thriller, horror, stroke horror-ish film. And um, the rom-com is, well, I've never done a rom-com, really. So I suppose that's, the, um, I play with Fraser Hines, who's a, a well-known Doctor Who actor. Uh, he, we play two old farts in a bar. <laughs> no acting required, really. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, but two different times for Doctor Who. I mean, Fraser was black and white. You were in, in glorious colour, and uh, you have a TARDIS with you even as we speak. And and, and that's pretty much uh, a go-to accessory. Everyone expects to see you with a TARDIS, and uh, it's a, a great time you had travelling around in that ship. Oh, I did. Yes, I had. I had a ball, really. Um, I, I was very lucky because, uh, in a way, uh, John Nathan Turner. Had, had wanted to leave Doctor Who. And so he, he kind of took a back seat. He just, he gave me the job and he gave Andrew Cartmel, the script editor, the job. Uh, Andrew came from Canada, so he didn't know much about Doctor Who. I'd been working in the theater and hadn't seen Doctor Who <laughs> since the um, middle sixties. And so we just made it up as we went along without any baggage to uh, get in the way. And we kind of put our own interpretation to it. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, we took it in a darker place, a more mysterious place. But also got to have some good fun. I mean, Sophie Aldred is in her role, uh, referring to you constantly as the professor rather than the doctor. And then the spin-off audio books that came from that as well. That must have again been good fun to, to revisit old times in audio form. Oh, yes, it is. It's great. I keep doing it. I'm, I'm, I did one, uh, a couple of them this year to go. And because the thing is that, um, to do them on audio, uh, the sets don't shake, and <laughs> I look about six feet tall. <laughs> and uh, that's 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 part of the magic of what you can hear in your ears and the pictures that it provides. But when it comes down to something like the the, the costumes that you've you've got to wear over time, I, I, I note. I mean, you're looking rather dapper now. So is is this something that you've you've picked up from the costumes that you you wear as you go along? I mean. Your, your Doctor Who obviously had his own distinct look. Have you nicked any bits of the, uh, the costume there? Well, I mean, the thing is that uh, when I went along for the first interview with John Nathan Turner, I wore a, the straw hat turned up a bit like this one, only it was a pale colour, because um, uh, it was a sunny day in London town, one of the rare ones in those days. And <laughs> I wore my hat like that. And, and John Nathan Turner said, wow, I, we've got to have that hat in Doctor Who. And I said, well, I go with a hat. And that's how I got the job, really. <laughs> so if you want to get ahead, get a hat. Or if you want to get Doctor Who, get a hat. It certainly sounds like a good trick. The costume, yeah, they asked me what I wanted. And, and I, I, the jacket was my idea. The pullover was not my idea. I wasn't really very fond of it because I thought it was overstated. But it was the producer's idea. And I wasn't going to argue with him. I think his granny knitted them or something like that. <laughs> my idea was the umbrella. I was very proud of the umbrella. That was my idea. I mean, I was going to, the fourth season, get rid of the question mark um, pullover and um, just have the umbrella. I thought that was a much more subtle way with the question mark. But um, people love the pullover and I'm delighted now that we kept it. 
Yep, and it's something that you can wear at conventions and make sure you keep warm once we're able to get back to that sort of thing in full flow. And uh, you're living in France at the moment. Is this a country that's, that's meant a lot to you over the years? Yes, I've always been a bit of a Francophile, really. Um, I, 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 I love France and the food and um, the philosophy and the history and um, the countryside. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm very privileged that I bought this little... Uh, it's not a chateau, but it's. Um, I could be rude and say it's neither is it a... Uh, well, chat in Scotland has a different meaning in, in English. Um, <laughs> you maybe have to ed edit this. <laughs> I, I, I came here, you know, for a little holiday and then the lockdown came and the president of France put me under house arrest with everyone else in France as well. Mm -hmm. But I kind of kind of stayed and I've been here almost ever since, really. It's amazing. It's a beautiful place. Medieval village on top of a mountain. That, that sounds absolutely gorgeous. So uh, uh, very much like uh, the opposite of running around uh, a quarry for Doctor Who or uh, all the other things that you got up to when uh, you were uh, evading Mr. Nosy Bonk on Jigsaw. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that was uh, with... Dave Rappaport, we were the old men, weren't we? If mm -hmm. I remember rightly. Dinner, 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 dinner. Oh man, is that the one? That's the that one. Jigsaw, yeah. But I mean, again, from an age where where TV has sort of have developed through your career, and um, you've found a way to fit in with your 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 skills wherever it happens to have come. But how do you see the development of things like science fiction? Because obviously, you've talked about wobbly sets on Doctor Who. These days with HD, you can't get away with the sort of things that they did on the budgets they did then. No, I mean, it's easier these days, isn't it, with the, you know, the new technologies. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how to answer that question because it kind of broke up halfway through. But um, technology, yes. I mean, I, I do remember, though, the, um, when we, um, green screen, which is now called, came in when we were doing Vision On, which was way back, mm -hmm. and it was called Blue Screen there. I used to call it SO Blue. Um, and uh, we played with that uh, and had great fun exploring this new technology. Either we ended up doing kind of a um, come dancing thing uh, with just myself and Pat Kiesel. And we ended up being six dancers and um, uh, it was just quite amazing and great fun and exploring it. Yeah, and that kind of technology was great. But I mean, I mean, now the microphones have got smaller, and you know, cameras have got smaller, and now they can do what they can make a thing with a phone, can't you? You can make films with a phone. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I believe in France and in Paris, they have a, a festival of films made on iPhones or other phones. And so, I mean, is, is French a second language for you? I mean, do, do you enjoy speaking French? Oh, je, je parle français un petit peu. And, you know, actually, uh, my French is, my French is poo. <laughs> petit poo means very little, but I mean poo, yeah. sadly. Yes. <laughs> so, but you can get by. And, and are you as well known over there as you are over here? I'm, I'm guessing there must still be Doctor Who fans over there. Yes, there are, but not as much. I mean, the thing is that they'd never really got the uh, classic Doctors when, when it was going out all those years back. Uh, I think the, Tom Baker did a season here once way, way, way back. But um, uh, so they, but they know the new Who, but they know me more here for um, uh, uh, The Hobbit. Yeah. They're into The Hobbit in a big way. And also for uh, a thing I did on Netflix called Sense8, where the Wachowski sisters... Um, show on, on uh, Netflix. They know me from that. In fact, we filmed a lot of it. We, we did the very last scene of it uh, on the Eiffel Tower in Paris. We took over the Eiffel Tower for a night. Mm -hmm. Had an amazing party, which was part of the scene, and then fireworks. And they'd forgotten to tell the uh, people of Paris that there were going to be fireworks. Um, they thought the you know, bombs had gone off again. Anyway, we had a great time. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and a great series. And, I mean, you, you talk about the, the working on The Hobbit. I mean, uh, the, the role that you had there, again, it, it puts you in front of a, a whole different audience, but one who appreciates 
in the same way as, as, as all other areas of science fiction and fantasy. So again, your calendar, when we're not in a pandemic, must be absolutely full of conventions all over the world. Yes, yes, it is. And um, I, I am an inveterate traveller. And um, a, a director once said many, many years ago, she said to me, you know, Sylvester, if I want you to do a job, all I have to do is wave an airline ticket at you. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to do it. And in a way, she was true, really. Um, when, I, when I'm asked to do something, I say, where is it going to be shot? Like, I mean, sadly, I was supposed to be going to Hungary, somewhere I hadn't actually been uh, to um, do a film with, um, Rob, is it Rob Zombie? Yeah, yeah. a horror film director. Yeah. Comedy horror film we were going to do in 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 Hungary, um, but that that's been put off until after, you know, maybe in March if if, if things if we can do that, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, no, I've uh, I mean I, I'm I, I travelled. My grand my granddaughter arrived in, in, in on this world two two years ago and uh, on, on September the fifteenth, and I I was in Edinburgh doing a play, and so I jumped on a train, went to London picked up a case, went to Paris, Paris to M Moscow, branched off to um, St. Petersburg, back to Moscow, on the Trans-Siberian Express to Ulaanbaatar um, in um, Mongolia, then went into China, Peking, and then from China, uh, from Peking, I went to Hanan, and then from there I went to Hanoi, and then from there I went to Bangkok, all by train. Um, um, so, you know. Oh, what was great, though, um, on the way, uh, I was sending out little messages to my agent. I didn't know she was putting them online, but going through Trans-Siberia, Trans, um, Trans Siberia, uh, suddenly the train would stop at certain stations every now and again. And then uh, there was a Dalek there to greet me in <laughs> Siberia. <laughs> and of course, I hadn't... I wasn't really on top of all the technology. I didn't know that she was put, my agent was putting out to the world. I just thought it was for her and I was sending it to my sons and family. And then, then uh, other Doctor Who fans at, at other stations and, and um, Hobbit fans. And, and then when I got to Hanoi, I was sadly I just left when a message came through saying, oh, you must come to the Doctor Who cafe in Hanoi. And there was a photograph and there was a cafe with a TARDIS on the roof <laughs> in Hanoi. <laughs> that delighted me. I, I really would like to have gone. I would have gone then and seen it, but I couldn't. I was at left. I'm going back one day. I'm going to go to Hanoi and find that cafe. Mm -hmm. Anywhere else in the world apart from Hungary that you'd be fancy going to? Well, they, yes, the uh, Antarctic. I've been to the Arctic, which mm -hmm. I enjoyed immensely, but I've been to every continent on the... Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, I'd like to go to the Antarctic, I think. Although I'm a bit... Now, because of... The world, you know, uh, you know, climate problems and all that. Uh, maybe that's not a good thing to go to the Antarctic. We should leave it alone. Where else would I like to go? I'd like to go to South Africa. I've been to Africa, but Ghana. Um, I might like to go to South Africa. I think. I don't know if they have do, do Doctor Who conventions in South Africa. I mean, I've been to China. I've been to Japan. I've been to South America. <laughs> South Africa. Do a convention. Uh, I did one in Mumbai, um, a convention in Mumbai. That was fascinating. All over the world. Amazing bits of the world. And so you're a star absolutely all over it. And uh, obviously things on a hiatus at the moment, a new project potentially in Hungary next year. Uh, what else can we expect to see uh, other than the, uh, the, the Christmas movie, uh, which is gonna be a treat for the end of 2020? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing more, um, Big Finish audio, you know, Doctor Who's, mm -hmm. uh, they'll be coming out. Uh, I've done some, you know, uh, Zoom conventions as well. Um, and there might be more of those popping up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing, they're bringing out um, the 24th uh, season, I think. I think we, we brought out the 25th one, didn't we, this year, I think. We're now going to do... Um, a documentary on the making of the 24th season, I think, with Bonnie and, and, and um, Bonnie and Sophie, I think, as well, involved. Yeah, I think that's coming out. But that's I, I have to go back to London to do that. So I've got to go back soon and um, go into lockdown for a couple of weeks.
Yeah. And then we're going to do this documentary. Well, we'll see whether France want to keep you a little while longer. So obviously, obviously enjoying having you there, as would any country of note. So, uh, I mean, Sylvester, great catching up with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for helping to support Medi Cinema through uh, the chat that we're having today. We're urging people to go along and make a donation to, so they can continue their work, all as part of this series for the science of cinema. Uh, but for now, Sylvester McCoy, Doctor Who, and so, so much more. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Keep wearing the mask. <laughs> it's an improvement. <laughs>Local lad Rhys Mason is away at university up in Manchester where, just as lockdown was kicking in, he formed a band called Myoto. He joins me now to tell me more about what's going on. Hello. How you doing, Jason? You okay? I'm good, thank you. And it's uh, good to catch up with you because it's been a few years since we last had an atta. You came in to talk music and wrestling, as I recall. Uh, but uh, obviously, uh, some of those things have been a little on hiatus of late. Yeah, um, so I think it was maybe 2015 I was last on the show. Yeah. And um, I've been an avid listener since. And, you know, I thought... Uh, what better way to, you know, kind of reach out to uh, the local, uh, my my certainly local fan base, yeah. Um, you know, because uh, I'm like you say, I'm I'm based up in Manchester now, um, and I did, you know, music's been going great, and then uh, kind of the, the lockdowns kind of happened. We've we've been struggling a bit there, uh, but other than that, like we we've we've grin and bared it, got through, and. Uh, yeah, so some some great tunes coming hopefully. Well, tell us about Myoto then, and uh, the fact you have got a, a demo video out at the moment. Yeah, so uh, Myoto we formed in uh, February of uh, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say twenty nineteen, then it seems <laughs> so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah, it was uh, it was formed by uh, the bassist and the guitarist who actually went to uh, university together. Um, that was uh, James and Andy. Uh, so they, they were kind of playing about with uh, a few demos and whatnot and then they looked for a singer got me um and then they had we had a drummer and then uh, we've just picked up a new drummer called connor he's a good lad from southampton so yeah a bit of a bit of a mix really two northern lads a midlands lad and a southerner um so yeah it, it's uh, it's going pretty well um we're an indie rock band four piece um based in manchester and we are just kind of in the infancy. It's mm-hmm. very exciting time. Um, I hear a lot of things now about, uh, you know, bands must be struggling starting up. And we completely have the opposite uh, mindset for that. We're really excited. We're on our own time. You know, uh, we, we haven't got any uh, strenuous tasks. We're not rushing to get as many gigs in the way as possible because there are no gigs at the minute, mm-hmm. you know. So we're very much on our own time. We can control it very well. Uh, we can get the recordings down, and then whenever is humanly possible, hopefully, if the uh, music scene survives, then we can uh, get to gigging in the near future. Well, yes, yeah, as, as this is really a secondary string to your bow at the moment, alongside what you're doing at university, that in, in some ways helps. There is not the pressure on to have that income from the music in the same way. Usually this would be helping to support you, though, and I know you've done this in the past. You, if you've got a music-related income, it, it is... Uh, and a nice additional and it means that uh, you, you, you whatever work you're doing you, you've got uh, a secondary focus which is really good but obviously uh, we know that musicians who have that as their primary income are struggling across the UK but equally we've seen some fantastic music out there that is coming to, to, to the fore because of the way in which we're sharing through social media platforms at the moment and as you say you've got uh, you know, two, two northerners a midlander and a southerner actually once this does get going it means you've got digs up north in the middle and down south when you are actually gigging so that could be good exactly yeah um you know it, it's it's very it's very promising in that way you know it's it's uh it's easy to get jaded really at, at this time um you know i i, I everyone's kind of suffering with their, their mental at the minute. You know, I've certainly struggled over the past couple of months. Um, now we've got talks of students not being able to go on for Christmas. Hopefully that's not the case because that's the first time I'll ever be without my family for Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bit of a one, but you know, it, it's just, it's nice to have something like you said, just on the side as well. You, you remember from before I had my hands in a lot of different pies. Yeah. That's just the way I am really. Um, I think it's, it's nice to have a, we're treating this as a hobby at the minute, but you know, it's it's kind of it's it's a fully fledged hobby. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it was the same with, with me and my wrestling. That that was kind of a side thing, but you know, I put my all into it, and it's the same with music, really. And this, I've got a good group of like-minded lads with it, and, and that that's I'm blessed to have that, really. You mm. know, but it's the sort of thing that with that spark could and should suddenly turn into a career. So you know, it's it's not 
that uh, it, it, we should do it down in any way at all. The fact that it's something you'd enjoy, and we all need a creative outlet in some forms. Some people do matchstick models, uh, others crochet. Uh, yours happens to be music, and uh, the fact that you can share that with others, and uh, okay, blank, crochet blankets are cool, but other than that, you know, you can share that with others in a way that's going to be good, fun, and, and, and interesting to do. Uh, I, th I think that that all helps as well. And you get to have a message too. And I should think at the moment, it's an interesting struggle being a student, particularly you know, with, with the not knowing what's going to happen next, who knows what Christmas could bring. But you've all kind of now been put into a, a bubble in September when you all went back to university. And uh, that, that sort of the, the problems we've had with, the, with the, the virus heading through the campuses will then start to calm down. And so you're suddenly you're going to be in a community, which is you know, very much like the Bake Off tent. Everybody there is already you know, had, had, had everything they're going to have and suddenly it turns into a, a, a weird community which is unlike any other part of the UK. Yeah, honestly, Jason, you know, already it was kind of a mixing pot. Uh, you know, uh, Manchester, one of the biggest uh, student cities in the UK as well. Um, so, it, I mean, for, for ages, like the first two years, we had the freshers flu and I'm sure students all, I, I, all I appreciate that. that. Yeah, when I was at yeah. uni, the first two weeks of term were absolute hell. Because even if you weren't all snogging each other, these things got passed on, didn't they? Unbelievable. Mate. I, 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 honestly, I don't think I stepped foot on campus my first year, my first two weeks, other than in bars, might I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you know, somehow it got me. It was oh, it was it was horrific. And then I had it the second year as well. And hopefully, I don't get it this year. Anyway, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's a nasty one this year for definite. So yeah. uh, one to be avoided, but. Uh, so it, it's a it's a different world at the minute, and is that reflected in the music that you're writing? I think so, very much so. Um, yeah, uh, say like uh, Andy, our guitarist, is uh, very much the, a creative source of the band. Uh, we all write together, um, but Andy's uh, got quite a few uh, melodies that he's brought forward, and we're kind of working our way through those at the minute. I I, I myself have got hundreds of songs written that mm -hmm. just need music put to them, you know. Um, and uh, I, I think there's some very interesting, you know, or, you can sense the melancholy coming through mm -hmm. uh, for me, you know, um, and it, it's it's quite nice because sometimes I'm juxtaposing that in the writing, sometimes I'm uh, adding to that in the writing. Um, for this track that we're, uh, we're, we're coming to, I very much wrote about Midland's characters and the characters I've met in wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, but I think ultimately I've, probably used that character as a metaphor for for some feelings at the minute you know it's not necessarily about a person although the lyrics are quite literally about a person you know yeah well we will take a listen to the track and say this is a little demo video that you've been sharing online as well and uh, it's, this gives it a bit of a flavour, but there is a lot more to come, isn't there? Yes, uh, definitely so. Um, this actually was just originally um, a post that we wanted to put forward for a competition. Mm -hmm. It was a Vans, uh, the, the shoe company. They're doing a, a Musicians Wanted uh, competition. And we, we thought, you know, why not? While, while we're in lockdown and, and it was kind of like a, a low tier lockdown then so we could go to the studio and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still kind of working out the studio, but with this new system again, things got to change but yeah we, we we kind of just got it together in a, in a few days and just kind of willy-nilly did it and then uh, we thought you know that, that that actually turned out pretty well put it together put a little video to it and um we do we're just testing the waters really to see kind of the the reciprocation of um people hearing it people from all different backgrounds have heard it too so like i we're, we're very much indie rock um quite ambient stuff um which is you know nowadays more towards youtube and a younger audience but like the, my parents and my 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 grandmothers both of them you know my biggest fans if you remember from the last yep, podcast we absolutely did, um they have non-stop shared it and i'm sure the other boys are the same and and i've had some really interesting comments from from an older generation too so that was quite interesting and i something i didn't really think about before so it's it's quite interesting i'm, I'm studying uh, advertising and branding now mm -hmm. so looking at the demographics and stuff which you know kind of stupidly i probably should have done that but you, you never know without a, a little prototype so that's what we're treating this as although we are going to be re-releasing this later uh with a, a fully mastered version and a single hopefully going on spotify 
Well, that's all the future. Meanwhile, we have the now. And where do we find you on the socials? Uh, so the socials, we've got two main socials at the minute. It's uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. We do have Twitter, but uh, I think we're catering more to Facebook and Instagram at the minute. Um, you can get us at Myotoband. That's M-Y-O-T-O-B-A-N-D. Uh, or just forward slash Myotoband. All of our socials are uh, linked to Myotoband. So if you just Google search that, you can find us. And also uh, any videos that we're going to be putting up are going to be going onto our youtube channel yep, check it all out there there could be a live christmas day concert the way things turn out who knows what could actually happen but uh for now reese mason of my Ojo, thank you for joining us <laughs> thank you As we head into a second national lockdown, the entertainment industry once again goes on hold. An area that has struggled particularly badly has been the world of circus. To tell us more about their current plight, I'm joined by Daniel Bean from Circus Petit. Hello. 
Hello. Now, normally you're off out and about on a couple of tours each year. This year you weren't able to do that. And, and circus is one of those areas that has been quite hard hit. And that in particular because it's more difficult for them to apply for cultural grants in the same way as uh, other institutions. A number of circuses have been helped, but that hasn't been the case for everybody, has it? No, unfortunately not. Um, right at the beginning, we were looking to some Arts Council grants and um, the grants they had at the time weren't available to anyone that was planning any kind of touring production. Um, but there was ones for like single individual grants which we applied for and um, me and my partner both got turned down for those. Um, I've not heard no news since. Um, unfortunately, we found out only a few weeks ago that uh, some circuses had been given grants, but by the time we knew that this was an option, uh, they were all being closed. So it's it's not not been easy, and and uh, wake, making your way through the, uh, the sort of minefield of, of information that's required and filling the forms is obviously not a, a simple one. And so equally knowing what is there and is available. So uh, what is the the future now for, uh, for for your area, and what do you feel you're going to be able to do? Because I mean, you must have had almost a year with virtually no income. Yeah, it, it's it's it was it's gone from being what should have been the best year to the absolute worst. Because um, all our like private hire work for like corporate events and birthday parties and things have all been cancelled as well. And every time we think, oh, there's there's like a bit of light, and we start getting bookings in, they all get cancelled. And the same things now happened again for the second lockdown. Um, we were hoping to have a, a, a contract at a farm, but now that they can't even open now. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the run to Christmas was actually going to be a bit of a saving grace for, for many companies, a chance to do something and get people into socially distant spaces. And the, the thing is, I mean, it's, it's the planning that's the issue with uh, yeah, touring venues uh, that, that you're looking at going to. Obviously, it, it's more difficult knowing that if on the 2nd of December, everything's going to you know, magically reopen and we can get on with things again, or, or whether, whether there still will be restrictions. And, and we can't know that yet because no government on the planet can tell what's going to happen next to them at the minute, can they? No, and any kind of planning, like normally uh, planning for like Easter, we would we'll be doing that now. Uh, our planning starts now, ready for Easter, um, and we just can't. Just it's impossible to plan anything um, in, until we know for definite we can go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean Easter is the sort of point where people are starting to get hopeful. But equally, uh, you've, you've kind of got 2020's plans, which in some ways may be able to roll out as far as shows. But again, this is only for those performers who are still available. Many of them now will have moved into the roles. And if there is some level of security, they will potentially be staying there. We may lose some great performers from the, the, the repertoire that normally tour with these shows. Oh, absolutely. Uh, lots of my friends are performers and they're, they're doing sort of other jobs now. And I think the chance of them getting back into performing again is, is very slim. Um, because the, the absolute know-how we've received from the government has been absolutely pitiful. Um, and, and like myself, uh, we don't have any business premises because our premises are our big top and everything goes to our home. Um, and anyone like that weren't eligible for any kind of uh, grants that have been offer, on, on, on offer. So it, it, it's not... Uh, been simple and it almost, it almost feels like you know, the performers who are, are freelance it, they, they expect to have some downtime that that's the way it goes and you you say for a rainy day but I mean this has been now six months of a torrential downpour hasn't it oh yeah yeah we always like have some money uh, just in case but that is now running out rapidly it, it, it run out ago, uh, to be honest mm -hmm. so a, a, a difficult time but to head towards Christmas so I mean what what are the plans what sort of things do you think the industry is going to be able to do to, to try and get back on track in some sort of way oh i, I don't know right at this moment um everyone's been working so hard and on some people lucky enough to get their shows out on the road this year um uh but it's just planning for the the future is even more difficult especially with the whole uh, leaving the eu a lot of our performers that we employ are from the eu mm -hmm. and there's sort of clarity on what we need to do to prepare for them coming back into the country if, if they are allowed. Yeah, 
I don't, I mean, there, there, there always will be a way, we would hope, but it's again, it's that not knowing and not being able to plan ahead that can be difficult. And with the, the situation that's been going on with Brussels, it's, there has been no clarity. And again, it's, it's, it's almost as if you've got two pandemics in some way coming at your industry together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's just going to be a nightmare for everyone, especially with the lack of sort of UK-based performers uh, in the first place, because once again, uh, the government kind of supported any like circus arts um here not like in other countries where they get sort of heavily funded by the government um here we've never ever sort of received any kind of help well but again it's, it's one of those art forms which although it's it's very much hand to mouth it's one that's always been able to, to pay its own way hasn't it because it is such a, a popular art form and you know it, it's one of those there where people you know, love going to and you, you know you're going to get a great response whichever town or city you turn up in yeah, and also it's such a shame because it's uh, you know a, a British tradition. It, it began in England, mm -hmm. and um, it'd be nice to we should be at the, the forefront and making it as best as it can be. But unfortunately, that's not the case. No, it's a, a difficult time, as we say. But I mean, where can people go for for, for help and, and support and to have conversations? Is, is there anywhere being flagged to you at all, or is it, is it really just the, the community within circus trying to hold together to, to keep itself going? Yeah, there's a lot of um, sort of there's quite a few groups on Facebook that are quite good, um, uh, and sort of because it's quite a close knit community, most people sort of know each other, um, uh, and uh, yeah, I think we're all trying to work together to try and make things better, and, and hopefully. Uh, still be able to do what we love to do. Yeah, I mean, support from your peers is vitally important. Financial uh, assistance is obviously something that you you, you really do need it, to, to be able to keep this art form going in the way that it does. Uh, I mean, fingers crossed there will be some sort of funding that, that comes on board that can help out uh, to, to make yeah, a, a viable future for a, a fantastic tradition that goes back more than 250 years. So, you know, it, it is... Uh, an absolutely you know, steadfast part of, of British culture, one that's gone across the globe and, and has evolved as, as it's travelled into many different things. As you say, bringing performers uh, to, to different countries. And it's not just performers from the, you know, the EU that come to us. Our performers go out there as well, don't they? So it, it, it is a very much a shared thing. Yeah, absolutely. I've got friends that, you know, from here that are all over the world um, performing uh, who, well, unfortunately, can't now. Um, but yeah, it's such a sort of multi multicultural sort of uh, business. Mm -hmm. um, well, I know you'll have some content online. Where can people go to see what you're doing and eagerly await, hopefully, fingers crossed, the return in Easter of next year? What's your Facebook page? It's um, Circus Petite. So just look for Circus Petite online and you can see what is going on. And, and, and a few clips from the past will be there. Fingers crossed for again for a, a fantastic future. But you say it's that, that doubt at the moment. And uh, again, it, it's one that uh, probably MPs need a little note to remind them that uh, there are performers out there who haven't been able to be supported. And we know that there's already a limited supply of jobs. So there, there isn't something for everyone to do. Not everyone can be a ballerina working in the world of cyber, uh, can they? No. <laughs> There we go. We're very much hoping we'll be able to see Circus Petite back out on the road very soon and a great Easter ahead, fingers crossed. Daniel Bean, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much. With South of the River now available on digital release, courtesy of Patriot Films, it is a rock and roll romp, but with an interesting human interest story to run alongside. To tell me more, I'm joined now by Joe Watkins. Hello, sir. Hi, how's it going? All good with me. I trust we find you well. Yeah, yeah, you have. It's one of the, it's a good day. That's good. We like good days. That works. So, I mean, <laughs> tell us about your debut feature film because this all began back in what uh, 2013 with a crowdfund that has mm. turned into something absolutely massive. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a long time ago now. So it's a social realist film about a guy in a struggling band in South London, and he happens to have throat cancer. Uh, which sounds very dark and downbeat, but actually it's, it's very much a light-hearted film, I would say, with a lot of humour. And we started, yeah, you're right, we started shooting that a, a long time ago while I was still at university. I was lucky enough to have a fantastic crew, dedicated crew at the time, and uh, we managed to put together this whole film. And um, 
and a fantastic DOP and a, an incredible producer. And together, yeah, we've um, with, with those in the cast, we, we managed to put it together and we're all very happy with uh, the outcome. And uh, an excellent cast. And obviously you've got uh, some big names in there too. You've got the likes of David Spinks, uh, EastEnders and The Bill, Ewan McIntosh uh, from The Office and The Lobster. And then uh, with Alex Gilson, uh, Upstart Crow, uh, The Hollow Crown. And the uh, obviously Alex is there playing Aaron, uh, your band frontman. And uh, I think he's a musician as well, isn't he? And and, and uh, you're in there as guitarist too. So is, is that uh, yeah, something that you've played before or was this mostly miming for you? Uh, no, yeah, no. I, I I actually wrote all the songs and everything for the uh, for the film. And uh, Alex, it was lucky that Alex was a musician. It wasn't necessary, like uh, it didn't have. It wasn't a requirement for the part. But we got extremely lucky with Alex. Not only was he a great actor, but he was also a very much an accomplished musician with a great voice. Very much brings a, a Kurt Cobain to the to the to Aaron. We all recorded all the songs ourselves. It was a put together band with the four of us. And yeah, we, we took my terrible songwriting and, and turned it into, <laughs> and the other guys turned it into, into that, you know, which is, uh, they almost made it a bit too good at times. I was like, you know, come well, on, guys. This is part of the problem. You must have been having to play down your abilities to get it right for the band, certainly in the, in the early days, but being able to be part of the band's journey as well. Yeah, well, not my abilities. I didn't because I never, I never had much ability. <laughs> but that was fine. That was all. There's no problem there. But the other guys, yeah, yeah, there was um, especially. I mean, Zig, I mean, Ziggy's bass lines were just so good, and Debbie on 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 drums, and yeah, and Alex as well. Alex really kind of um, just before we would go and record with the track, he would just have he would just have like another like last minute input that he would want to put in. He was he was brilliant. Um, a real musical mind. Together, it's, um, I've been in a few terrible bands over the years. And <laughs> the Underfind are actually the best one I've been in, I think. You know. <laughs> so maybe slightly autobiographical when it comes to the sort of pubs and venues that you play. And South of the River is based mm-hmm. in Brixton. And it's it's sort of a, a Brixton of now, but it's still got a, a feel about it, which which means it could be placed at any time, maybe over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because um, Brixton is, is one of the places that has, has changed so dramatically in my lifetime. It's almost unrecognisable now. And it, so I wanted it to kind of have that feeling of how I felt growing up there, which was a, a while ago, but then also kind of have a, t- a tinge of kind of Cameron's Britain as well, because that was the sort of time we were filming. But And I think the, the film has kind of creates its own world in South London. Mm-hmm. And it's not all set in Brixton. It's, it's kind of set all around South London. And uh, but a lot of it taking place. That's where all the characters live in Brixton and everything. But it's um, but yeah, I, I hope it kind of it has kind of created this new kind of uh, world within itself within South London. And with the uh, the use of the river at times in the background, and then the cinematography itself. I mean, there's, there's one uh, poignant scene where uh, obviously two leads, yourself and uh, and Alex, uh, are having a chat by the river, looking out, talking about life, and the way in which the lighting works there, and the way in which you, you use this throughout the film. I mean, was this all shot digitally or is there some analog stuff in there as well? Uh, there's a touch of analog in there, but mostly it was digital. It was multi-format, so it was shot on several different cameras. The um, cinematographer, James Butler, definitely do a shout out for him because he's a real talent. I've worked with him for, uh, worked with him since many times. Um, uh, and he's, yeah, fantastic cinematographer and um, really had an eye, really understood the film extremely well. And yeah, he kind of he used different cameras for different setups, for different scenes, for different feels. Uh, so it's different formats throughout. Um, and there was a touch of um, 16 mil in there um, for some of the flashback scenes. But other than that, it was it was all digital formats. Other than that, and I mean, and the feel that you've got for it, um, the the way that the, the the sound works. I mean, you were filming in some noisy environments. So I'm guessing there would be a fair amount of overdub at uh, at times. But you know that that is something which uh, is just part of of, of building a process like this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of um, exactly shooting within some busy busy places and everything and um, not having the biggest budget in fact having a tiny one and trying to kind of make make the most of it and yeah there was, there was a little there was a touch of overdubbing in the end but there, was, there wasn't an obscene amount um in fact there's yeah there's, there's, there's things I've, I've shot since which have had more mm-hmm. have had more ADR than this but it's uh but uh 
but yeah, yeah, there was, it's definitely kind of, it has a kind of off-the-cuff guerrilla filmmaking kind of vibe still, I think, mm. yes, within South River. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's, you know, get from the feel of the way, the uh, using venues and the like, and say that they're, they're noisy places, even outdoor in a council estate can be quite a, a, a raucous place to be with background noise, so uh, yeah, making it yeah, the crisp and the, and the way the sound works, and in fact, I mean, when it comes down to the live performances, again, that must have been something that your your sound crew uh, really worked on to, to get as yeah such such a great sound with. Yeah, no, there was definitely each, each place had its own uh, its own struggles and everything. We um, yeah, the estates we were lucky enough there was a, a abandoned um, council estate in Woolwich, um, which looked just like the council estate. Uh, it looked just like Lambeth council estate, basically. So we filmed it all there, so it was pretty much empty the whole time we were there so we got very lucky and all the venues uh, in Brixton all agreed to let us shoot there but there was a, we managed to kind of uh, create somewhat of a kind of small buzz around around that scene so people would would be happy to let us use their venues mm-hmm. which was good so we managed to kind of over yeah kind of overcome that hurdle um, and we, we pre-recorded all the songs as well so, so playing them we were kind of we were playing along after we'd recorded the songs mm. themselves so. <laughs> but I mean, is there an undefined album out there now that uh, uh, the, the fans can uh, can pick up after they've watched the movie uh, no there isn't currently um, I don't know if there's any talk of that happening uh, that'll be something I'll have to look into I've been asked that a couple of times now I guess the answer to that is possibly. Let me look into it and get back to you on that. We will see what happens. It could be the next step in the journey. And they say this is a look at mostly Aaron's life. Obviously, uh, the rest of the band they get their looking and their say on their story too, uh, including on your character's uh, experimentation with his sexuality and, and trying to be a bit more David Bowie. Uh, but with, uh, with 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 Aaron, I mean, you you really are seeing um, highs, lows, confusion, and a, a very sort of laddish attitude towards his health at times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess he's terrified and he's childish. You know, he treats his um, his illness in an extremely childish manner, which I think is what I would have done at that age, which it wasn't long ago. I was that age, in fact, <laughs> it was only a couple of years ago. But it's, uh, I think it's such a scary thing to happen. That, and it's, it's difficult to know what to do and where to draw the line and where, there's, where you know, what, when does life stop and, and treatment start and how do you behave when you're, when you're not getting treatment? You know, what, what is, uh, so I think Aaron almost treat, just, just decides to almost ignore it and just and lets it impact him pretty negatively, I guess, and just kind of act and just be very childish about the whole thing, initially at least. Yeah, well, you can see how this works out by watching the film. It is South of the River, starring Alex Gillison and Joe Watkins, as well as the rest of the cast of great players in what is, as you say, uh, touching, entertaining and certainly rip funny in places and the interactions just bring uh, a great level of humour. It's via Patriot Films and you can find it now on all the usual outlets, patriotfilms.co.uk for their website. But for now... Joe Watkins, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Much appreciated. Well, that's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 594 next week. I look forward to having you along there. See you soon. Bye for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah.